0: Back to Buckeye Talk, and we're starting off this pod. We'll be previewing the Penn State game on Saturday for most of this pod. We'll also have some guys on from Penn Law Live. Johnny McGonigal will be joining us from Penn Live to talk about it from Penn State's perspective. Obviously, t Shue will be on the pod as well to talk about it from the betting perspective, and we'll get into our own game predictions later on in this pod. But we're going to start off with some breaking news: Nathan, Michigan's in trouble again. <laughs> What is happening? What is going on in Michigan's program and how does it impact Ohio State or does it at all impact Ohio State? Allegedly, uh, it might impact Ohio State. Uh, We'll see. Uh, Probably got
1: caught early enough if it's a legitimate thing that it won't affect Ohio State. That's part of this. Let's start at the beginning. As we're all sitting around listening to the Ryan Day radio show, Daydio as I like to call it, uh, Yahoo reports that the NCAA is investigating Michigan for violating rules pertaining to attending games in person to learn the signs, the offensive and defensive play call signs from the sideline of its future opponents, future in-season opponents and possible college football playoff opponents. The Big Ten then confirmed this. The Big Ten had said on Wednesday that it contacted future Michigan opponents. That was Michigan State who they're playing this week. Obviously, big rivalry game there. And and all of their future opponents the rest of the season, so that would include Ohio State. I did reach out to Ohio State and asked if they had any comment on this or if any any information that they've shared. Gene Smith pretty quickly was like, "No comment." I didn't really expect them to wade into this um, waist deep at this point, but there will obviously be something to learn uh, along those lines in the coming weeks. And it's just another unforced error for Michigan. You know this is already a program that's under investigation, and I feel like I'm repeating myself from when that news broke a few months ago. But a, a time where you are at this this breakthrough height in your program, finally, after years of underperforming, frankly, and now you have this moment, and these sorts of things keep coming up. And the the, the previous time, uh, Jim Harbaugh being investigated for. Well, there was some investigate. There was investigation into some violations during the like the COVID nineteen dead period, and in Harbaugh not. Im- allegedly not cooperating with that investigation is what led to the violations that he was suspended for the michigan took the self-imposed violate uh, suspension for early this season but that happened like kind of before they had this surge it was like on the front end of that but this is like you're right in the middle of it what are you doing like if this is if there's any truth to this at all and if it was at all connected to the actual coaching staff at michigan and was like a coordinated thing i just i i kind of can't Fathom and I would say the same thing about OSU. If 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 it were ever found out that OSU was doing something like this, just what sort of childish shenanigans? What what prompts you to do that? And so Michigan has played four Big Ten opponents this season: Rutgers, Nebraska, Minnesota, and Indiana. Why they had to steal signs to beat any of those teams, I don't know. I assume it was those four teams because their their non conference schedules even more craptacular than that, right? It's it's a it's a nothing burger. So if, if they were stealing signs to beat Bowling Green, then no offense to the the Mac uh, alumni on this podcast. I mean, come on. So I I really don't. This is a I'm I'm taking all of this with a kind of a mix of like incredulity, but also some still some skepticism. Like, is it would they really do this for the sake of just beating these teams even worse than they were already going to beat them?
0: So, Andrew, I think because as I was introducing it, Nathan's already shaking his head. It just seems like it's another thing on Michigan's list of things that have been going on that are non-football related to an extent. And when you're talking about it's you talk about the recruiting stuff that happened last January that ended up with the four-game suspension for Jim Harbaugh. Nathan mentioned the stuff that was going on in 2020. (laughs) This team can't just seem to not be able to keep itself out of trouble, I guess, for a lack of a better word of using right
2: now. Yeah, I mean, I guess I you have to respect it for the simple (laughs) thing of if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. You know, like if I mean you have to you have to give him some kind of props for that. Um the the thing that I'm can so it says sign stealing is not technically prohibited. You just can't do it in person. Like is is that like is you that what
1: we're you can't attend? You can't Correct. have a someone from your program attend a game in person and scout. Mm-hmm. That's been prohibited under NCA rule since the Yahoo report said 1994. Yeah, yeah. So you can you can scout your future opponent, obviously, by the, all the video means that they use for that. Uh, you just can't send a representative from your team to Ohio Stadium or uh, another stadium in, in person to try to learn things about Ohio State that's going on in that stadium, if that makes
2: sense. Yeah, the, the thing that I'm reading from Yahoo, it's whether the NCAA believes Michigan was using staffers or others who may be loyal to the program is unknown. I'm fascinated to know who t- who did this? Like, I'm fascinated to know if they did this, allegedly. If, you know, whoever, like, who did you, who who are you sending out to these games? Like, are you sending out, you know, a booster who donates millions of dollars to, like, just hold up a camera like a fan? Or are you sending, like, a coaching analyst? This is fascinating. Um, I, it feels like, I think this is, this is really, I think, the first Michigan scandal I've had since I've been on the beat. I know we had the Harbaugh stuff technically like over the summer, but like, I don't know if that's, is that really like uh, that just kind of felt like kicking the can down the line again. Like I didn't show up until like early August basically. And it feels like that was just kick This feels like a thing. So yeah, I, man, I mean, talk about a way to just derail or at least take away the shine from some good feelings about this program over these last couple of months. Like, Man, like you, you beat Ohio State twice. You thumped them both times, and you know you make college football playoff games, and you do all these great things, and then this, and then it just it always feels like it's something with Michigan. Just to make sure, we, <laughs> we, we
1: fully understand those good feelings do not originate from the people listening to this podcast. We we understand. Sure, I, I will yeah, say that. Yeah, I will yeah, college, yeah, Okay, for sure. I will college say that. football in general, but I think people understand what we mean. That like you know, you are Michigan. You are you are you are ranked number two. There is people who are ranking you number one. You are right now by many considered to, you know, they, they just pulled into being favorite status on some sports books earlier this week for the national championship. And now this is the story that's out there. And, you know, again, allegations, investigation isn't over, uh, innocent until proven guilty, all that stuff. But just
2: uh, it, just how is this happening? Well, the the thing that I'm really curious about for for our purposes is what games were they at? Because I don't know if we're gonna know that, because like you mentioned, their schedule at the beginning of the year, uh bad. We taught we made fun of it, we poked fun at it, we talked about it, we talked about does how a, Ohio State had to a, play.
0: Does the story specifically say they've been doing this at only twenty twenty three games? That's what not. I'm curious about that it too. Because that's right. the thing. Because we're, we're talking about it as a, well, who are you going to this? I don't know. They could have been right. going to games earlier last year. It, this is all legend, a legend, a legend, yes. a legend, which is all hypothetical. So, so th- I think that's part of the issue is that I think that's where the Ohio State part matters. If yes. this is something where as this investigation continues and it comes out, if it turns out that they were at the Ohio State wisconsin game penn state game year, yeah either or, or, or the ohio, either ohio or, yeah. state you know just some random game And it's like oh that played in the part into why they won the ohio state game once again this is all hypothetical here because this is happening in real time and information is still being you know let out there they said just i know this is happening in real time and so i know this is probably a hard question to answer right now because we're recording this pod literally like five minutes after it happened when i asked you what's the impact on ohio state moving forward if this comes if this is found out that they are guilty of this, which I don't know if that's the term you use here or not, what's the consequences? And does that at all impact whether or not Jim or Harbaugh would be there on the sideline when they play Ohio State?
1: I think from what I'm learning so far, I think the consequences are pretty vague. The there there is language in the rules that governs this sort of thing, but it doesn't really get specifically into punishments as far as i've been able to tell so far and that might be left up to the conference i don't I, I honestly don't know the answer to that so i shouldn't speculate too far into that um the consequences for ohio state i mean here's the other thing so sign stealing and this has been people know that i'm a, a big baseball fan this has been like this annoying thing but going on in baseball for a while where teams get mad that you're stealing their signs in person, I mean, in, during a game, like there's supposed to, there's people who think that like that's one of the unwritten rules, and I've always been like, you got to be kidding me! Like I can, if the catcher's not protecting his signals, I can steal that signal, I can steal those signs. Yeah, like, that's that's part of the game. That's been going on in the game forever. Now, when you start getting into the Astros things and you're using video equipment and banging on trash cans, that's where it crosses the line. So, I, I teams already assume some level. There are no, there may be no more paranoid person in the world than your average power five head football coach right like it is it, it, the paranoia courses through their veins like 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 blood itself like that is the default emotional setting for all of these guys I say that with a measure of respect really because that's how you it's kind of how you have to operate in that world if these teams already switch up their signs so if you're Ohio State and we don't know at this point, as we're recording this, what Ohio State knew or suspected. I don't know if they didn't find out until today or Wednesday when the Big Ten contacted them that anything like this was going on. My suspicion is they they may have already suspected. But if they didn't, they didn't find out until Wednesday. But I think if you're playing Michigan and it's your rivalry game, I would imagine that you're not using the same signs against Michigan that you did the week before against Minnesota. That's my guess. I would imagine that Ohio state is not using the same signs this week against Penn state that it did last week against Purdue. Now there are maybe other times. Did they use the same signs against Youngstown state and Western Kentucky? Maybe stakes are lower. You know what I mean? Like Western Kentucky has got more things to worry about than, than whether it's Justin Fry or one of the other people wearing a colorful shirt that's sending them signs. You know what I mean? So there's probably going to be for Ohio state. If it's just contained to this year, There isn't much effect. Wish Michigan was going to win those games anyway, that that they supposedly stole the signs for, um, allegedly. And the game is so far away that Ohio State was going to be able to change its signs and not probably be that affected by that. Um, And I do wonder, it makes me wonder, like, if you're Ryan Day and this breaks, or you're James Franklin and this breaks, do you call the other head coach this week and be like, hey, like, Are we all okay here? Like, can we come to some? Can we have some sort of gentleman's conversation here about what's going on to make sure that this is all on the level? I would, I would think that you would have that conversation this week. I don't. This is again just me speculating. It'll be interesting to find out what Ryan Day will disclose uh, about all this. It's. I gotta be. I'm so, so. For people who follow us and follow the coverage in general, they know that every Thursday. For the last, since COVID, we have finished the Ryan Day radio show with a lightning round thing with him. I was told, now this is the second week in a row where there's been no lightning round. And I was told last week, or I was told earlier this week, that that's because um Jerry Immig, friend, friend of the pod, friend of all of us, um, wanted to just lighten the load that Ryan Day had on every Thursday afternoon. So they've moved the lightning round to after practice on Wednesday, which frankly makes a lot of sense. The TV people are there. It's better for them. We're all there. We could just get him off to practice coming off the field. Makes a lot of sense. My God, do I wish we'd had a lightning round today? (laughs) Like this is the one time Mm. ever that I have like desperately wished that we'd had a lightning round because, uh, I don't know. Ryan day probably would have just said, I've got no comment on that, but to get any kind of reaction from him to this allegation, um, would have been very enlightening.
0: I think well, the, I'm just time, glad that, the timing of when it came out, we right. might've been on the lightning round with him as it was breaking. It, it wasn't <laughs> so- quite that. It was, he was, he was about, he was only about two segments in. Cause had been
1: okay. maybe in the third segment. I was following along with it. People who get the text 614-350-3315 know that I yeah. was texting the normal. <laughs> Kate Silver's good. That stuff from the, from the radio show. And then
0: I had to, Switch uh, topics abruptly. Uh, So Ohio State's, Ryan Day's kind of dealt with this in the past, allegedly, once again, back in 2020, ahead of that Sugar Bowl when he kind of not so subtly alluded at what Brent Venables was doing. But that was a little bit more similar to what you're talking about in baseball, Nathan, where it was like during the game and how late Brent Venables likes to get his calls in because he just wants to be the last one to get the call in. This is a little more serious than that. Because as you mentioned, this is you're sending people to games to scout that ahead of time, and so you can have an advantage on a game on a team because you already know their signs going into the game. I just wanted to make that just differential here between what uh, what Ryan Day was maybe alluding at in 2020 with Brent Venables, which is just more co- competition. You're playing chess versus what yeah. this is. I, I think J- Justin
1: Fields even said something wrong yeah. about about. Um huddling longer that in the 2020 yeah. game that the sugar bowl game because they didn't want and that again to me that is if as long as you're just doing it based on like watching a lot of film and thinking you've figured things out i still think that is ethical i don't really have a yeah. problem with that if you want to put your time into that rather than other things then right, okay and there's cause there's ways to combat it and you know, it it's kind of at face value a little bit. And so that doesn't really bother me as much. I know people, it does bother other people. I get it. Doesn't really bother me as much, but that you're right. That is not what we're talking about here. This is a potentially a, a, a violation of an actual thing that is on the books.
0: Okay. So Ohio State still got five other games to play before they play Michigan. And so does Michigan. So this is, Depending on how fast this develops, we'll know a lot more about things over the next maybe a couple of hours here after we record the spotter. Definitely in the coming weeks of what if there are any potential consequences for that, because this might not have any impact on Ohio State, depending on what does or does not come out in this situation, or it might very much impact Ohio State. But what we do know right now is Jim Harbaugh, he missed the first four games of the season. He's been back the last two games on the sideline, and Ohio State is 6-0 and heading into a game against Penn State, and Michigan is 6-0, and and I think they're in a bye week. No, they'll play Michigan State, play Michigan on, State. Sat- on Saturday. So that's... That's the facts of things right now. We're going to take a break there. And we're back. And we're going to talk about Ohio State and Penn State now after that interesting, I guess 10 minutes talk about Michigan. Nathan, any we did get Ryan Day for a lightning round Wednesday evening. That has obviously changed from being on Thursday afternoon, now it's on Wednesday evening now. Did he have any update, any updates at all really about Either let's let's just run down the wins Any of the updates on Denzel Burke, Ameka Buka, Chip Trainum, Mayan Williams, travion Henderson. What do we know as people are listening to this on Friday?
1: Still just a blanket. Those guys are working to get back. We hope they can play on Saturday. And that just kind of applied across the board. So again, if you don't already get the text, 614-350-3315 As soon as that report comes out, ten A. M. you'll have it from us with whatever context we can provide on on what we're hearing, what we're seeing. We'll be in Ohio Stadium watching those guys walk in and warm up and all that stuff too. What we saw with our eyes, what I saw with my eyes, was all three running backs coming off the practice field. So Trebion Henderson, Mayan Williams, Chip Trainum all looked like they had pads on and were wearing had were carrying helmets and had not left practice early to go get treatment which is something that could happen for people who don't know we don't watch practice we aren't there waiting for them when they're done with practice necessarily we are allowed in as practice is ending so we always make sure that caveat's out there what we see after a wednesday night practice is not necessarily the the full accurate truth we're just telling you what we see we can't you have to make some assumptions based on that I did see that there was a report that someone saw Emeka Ibuka. I didn't see Emeka Ibuka. I think there were other reporters who didn't see Emeka Ibuka. Um, So I, I don't know what his availability is at this point. No one that I've heard from or talked to saw Denzel Burke at all. So again, just what we saw with our actual uh, face balls, eye, eye sockets, however you want to say it, um, had it sounds promising for running back depth. Sounds still very questionable on Emeka Buka, and if I if I were just speculating, putting it, it, it doesn't sound great for Denzel Burke at this point. But again, we'll see. Check the availability report on Saturday.
0: Andrew, we didn't see Emeka Ibuka, but another wide receiver did talk about Emeka Buka and what his. Put- Potential injury is. Mar- we talked with Marvin Harrison on Wednesday afternoon evening as well. Did he give us any insight to what Ma- Mecca Buka may or may not be dealing with?
2: Yes and no. Uh, he wanted to clarify it with I'm not a trainer. I don't, you know, that's not my field, blah, blah, blah. Typical things, typical what you'd expect. But then Marv was asked, is it the same injury that you have or that you are dealing with? And while he didn't specify that it was or wasn't, he did say it was an ankle injury, so you have some semblance of of certainty there that that Emeka Buka is dealing with an ankle injury. Uh, we don't know what it is. We don't know how severe it is. We don't know. I I personally, I don't know what ankle it is. We just know it's one of his two ankles, and you know this is a this is a situation where high ankle sprains are not something to be messed with. You worry about that. You worry about a lot of different things. It could be something minor. It could be something major. We don't know. And that's what I want to clarify here. We don't know much more beyond Marvin saying that it's an ankle injury. So – you know, I think you feel pretty confident that, you know, Marv wouldn't just show up and, and kind of just say something randomly like that. You, you think he was telling the truth where he, uh, where he said, Hey, it's an ankle injury. Um, I don't think he's that well coached yet to, to kind of throw the the smoke grenades one direction to make us think something. But um, you know, Marv said it was an ankle injury sound, you know, we'll, we'll see. I, I don't know what, I don't want to put a percentage on it. I don't know what I would p- even put it at for, for Mecca to play on Saturday. But um, it is an ankle injury, it sounds like. And we'll I guess we'll see on Saturday.
0: So, they got asked about not directly about Ameka Buka, but just the idea of like other guys who might be ready to play because we are halfway through the season. and The, the fact that Ameka Buka might not play on Saturday, there's an opportunity for these guys. He mentioned he got asked about Carnell Tate, and he got asked about Brandon Ennis. And with both of those guys, I think he talked about Carnell Tate's at that point where you typically see freshmen start to take off, that midway point through the year. Is there, a, we mentioned this a little bit on the big Thursday pod as well, Nathan, is there a chance that Carnell Tate could have a bigger role really for the first time in a big game in a way, if a Mecca, Puka can't play? Um, I mean, what
1: do we think a bigger role is? He has, he has mixed in a little bit mm-hmm. even before like garbage time stuff. Right. But mm-hmm. he is not, I mean, so where does he fall in the order? Like he is. He is, uh, you know, Xavier Johnson, we presume, would start at slot receiver if Emeka Buka can't play. And considering the amount of, and, and obviously Ohio State will play other guys in the slot too. They lined Marvin Harrison Jr. up there last week, some against Purdue. We've mm-hmm. seen Julian Fleming even play some slots. And considering the amount of 12 personnel that Ohio State plays, that's where I think, I, I, that's where I don't know for sure how to answer the question because I think that is going to be dependent on where Ohio State likes its matchup against Penn State. Does it want 12 personnel against what Penn State puts on the field or 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 playing 12 personnel to make Ohio- Penn State put certain personnel on the field? Or does it want to have another receiver out there? And in that case, does that open up more snaps for someone like Carnell Tate? I would just not get too far ahead of a, ourselves on the Tate thing. There have obviously been some other great receivers, as Brian Hartline was um, quick to point out to me a couple weeks ago when he Sort of misunderstood a question that I was asking, yeah. but like, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. didn't really play as a freshman until, you know, the Rose Bowl. Mecca Buka didn't really play as a freshman until the Rose Bowl. Jackson Smith and Jigba didn't really play as a freshman. So it doesn't necessarily mean that, that It, it I, to me, it's more about a guy showing that even if he's not playing a lot, I think that can be a tough assignment. Is like you're you're standing on sidelines. You get later into the season, it starts getting bold on game day, and then you have to go in, stay loose, stay warm, go in and make plays. And Carnell Tate's doing that. And and Day keeps bringing up the reminder that this is sort of the time of year where you see some guys start to turn what had maybe been a flash into something more. And I think that applies to Carnell Tate. It may apply to Brandon Ennis, too, although obviously just one career catch for him. But to me, Mm -hmm. this week when he's saying that, I'm hearing more Carnell Tate. I'm hearing more Jermaine Matthews. Like guys who, since they got here in January, like right away they were impressing coaches. And then now it's been a build to this point where if they need him for a bigger role, maybe they'll call on him. I just don't think he's the first guy they call on. I think it's Xavier Johnson. In a game like this, like a a matchup game like this, I think they're going to lean – with the veteran guy because Xavier Johnson too, let's remember has not only done it before he's like done it before. Like he's caught Mm. a big touchdown against Notre Dame. He caught a big touchdown against Georgia in the playoff. Like he has, he has performed on the biggest stage before this isn't a new thing for him to be putting him into this situation. And I think Carnell Tate very likely might rise to the occasion, but I, I think Xavier Johnson is still the one who probably, from a playing time standpoint, just as he did last week against Purdue, benefits the most.
0: So Cardinal Tate's played 88 snaps in five games so far. The only game he didn't play in was the Maryland game. I mean, not Maryland, excuse me, the Notre Dame game where they kept it really tight. That's seven, it's a little over 17 and a half snaps per game. For both of you, over under, let's put that at the over under for Cardinal Tate. How many snaps does he play against Penn State? I would say
1: under. Okay. Just Andrew. because I mean I think that Notre Dame usage is a little bit instructive too.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, that's a
1: uh, the of receivers. That night. yeah, that's
0: also with that.
2: Yeah, okay. that's a. You know what? I'm going to say over. I, I think just barely because I think if you're down a mecca, you might need a you might need a splash and you might need some some boost on the outside and and I think that you can get something out of Carnell Tate so. I don't think it's going to be massive. I wouldn't put it as he's going to be third on the team in wide receiver snaps. But I think that that's a fair number because I think that Penn State might try to throw it a little bit more than Notre Dame might. So we'll see. But I'm going to say slightly over.
1: This is a hard season to actually try to guess snaps on bench guys Mm -hmm. because the number of snaps played in a game can fluctuate pretty wildly right now, week to week, as people are figuring out this, this new flow of football.
0: That's a really good point. I think I'm still inclined to take the over, but I think so much of it is going to depend on how the game shapes out. If they're in a situation where Ohio State's got to pass the ball a lot in the second half, I think he plays more. I think of the guys that are healthy right now that we know for sure are going to be playing, unless something crazy happens in the next 48 hours, Carnell Tate might be the most talented pass catcher of that group. And so if you have to start relying on the past, I think he plays more, but that's a good point, Nathan, that the, the clock rules, you probably need to, you know, curve it a little bit, maybe go 15 and a half in that situation. Let's talk Jermaine Matthews in, cause you brought him up in that in this situation. Andrew Jordan Hancock got asked about playing both sides, playing field and playing boundary. I think Davidson was asked how comfortable he was playing those two roles as well. If Denzel Burke can't go who are your starting corners and then also where is Jordan Hancock on third and long situations where you're in a a more traditional nickel package
2: I think well Hancock said he was he was kind of repping it inside and outside so he he Mm -hmm. could play nickel or he could play on the outside so I think your three corners are Matthews Igbenosin and Hancock Um, I think that's what, if if Burke can't go, I think that's what your starting group is going to be. Um, you know, maybe you kick him out on third. I, I don't know. I, I, I lean just kind of roll with those. I think you roll with those three for, for kind of your situations and for your, for your top three corners. I, I look at like the way that they've talked about Jermaine Matthews to me has been kind of instructive to me. And it's not in a, this like sometimes you hear dudes like talk about you know freshman players like you hear this a little bit about carnell tate like where marv was talking about him and he was like oh eh, well this dude's farther along than i was and everybody's just kind of like just wait with jermaine this week i have gotten very much like a the floor is really high with him sense like everybody talks about him in a way that look this dude's confident this dude is it like that you heard the word dog thrown around a couple of times by people talking about him like They trust him enough to put him on the field and they trust him enough to have him in those situations. So I I just think that I would have him in, in those, in those kind of spots. I, I think that that's been really instructive to me. It's not that they're going to have to hide him or that they're worried about it. You might not have the, the ceiling that you have with Denzel Burke. Obviously you might, um, you know, you might allow a little bit more, but I, I think that they're comfortable with his floor enough to where I think that those are your three
0: how much is Penn State's offensive style and approach impacting how you think they'll deploy these cornerbacks? Because this is also a conversation of, is Sonny Styles ready to cover? And do they believe him so much that maybe you don't go with the traditional three-corner look on third down? You're able to stick with Jordan Hancock and Davis and Igbenosa on the outside and keep Sonny Styles on the field.
1: Well, no, I think that might depend more on how much Penn State wants to play 12% now, which they do. Quite a bit. I mean, they'll, they'll put two tight ends mm-hmm. on the field a lot, and that's that's Sonny Stiles' spot more than Jordan Hancock's spot at this point, right? But now you start talking mm-hmm. about third and long, I still think you want the third corner on the field. I think you, right now it seems like they would rather have Hancock in the slot there and trust Jermaine Matthews to to mix up with somebody outside. That's what it seems like they would, if, if Denzel Burke can't play, that's what they seem um, confident enough to do now i i don't i'm not getting too wrapped up right now in the boundary versus field talk i think it's more about this is the important thing right now is the depth that ohio state feels like it has built at cornerback for the first time in four years (laughs) like if any time since 20 like 2020 2021 2022 you lose one starting cornerback and it felt like a catastrophe, like a borderline catastrophe. And I'm not trying to throw people under the bus, like Denzel Burke, who stepped up on opening day in 2021 and saved that team a little bit with 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 what he did in the secondary, or guys like Jair Brown last year getting thrown to the wolves a little bit against Wisconsin and 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 living to tell the tale and actually performing quite well. Like I'm not I'm not trying to throw those guys under the bus, but when you're in a matchup like this, like this is one of those season-defining games. And you don't want to um, take any chances, I think, in those situations. But they they seem ready to trust Jermaine Matthews in whatever matchup happens out there. I think in those situations, those third and long situations where they want Hancock at nickel. But I think this might be a situation where where Jordan Hancock just never comes off the field almost. Like Jordan Hancock Mm -hmm. should probably start at outside corner. And then when you need him to Mm -hmm. play nickel, he slides over and... And Matthews maybe comes in and plays outside
0: corner. I think that's what they're going to do, too. And depending on how much 12 Penn State decides to play, because also, I think part of this is they don't have the traditional kind of scary slot receiver. That they've had some time. They don't have a Parker Washington out there. They don't have those types of guys in in the slot this year that might hurt you. So I do wonder if that opens up their options at at least a little bit because you're not as worried about that. But I I do agree with you. I think that's how this plays. Where Jordan Hancock might be on first and second down. He's going to be on the outside and then on third and like eight, and they move him inside to bring Jermaine Matthews onto the field. Okay. One more thing I want to discuss before we take the second break. 10 days after this game is played, the first college football playoff rankings are going to come out. Is the winner of this game, when you look at both of their resumes, barring something crazy happening the following week, like Ohio State going to Wisconsin and just dropping the ball, is the winner of this game the number one team in the first college football playoff rankings, in your opinion? Nathan, we'll start with you.
1: Yeah, I think if Penn State wins at Ohio State, that's the best win in the country. They'll be undefeated at that point, we presume, winning again next week. And um, we'll have been really uh, smashing people to do it. They'll certainly have a better win than Georgia. No question. They'll have a better win than Michigan. No question. And then it just comes down to, I guess, there might be some holdout Florida State voters that would still put them higher. But I don't know how you could vote on a resume and not vote Penn State number one at that point.
0: Same for Ohio State, because then they'd have the Notre Dame win and this win. Is it the same both ways for you, Nathan?
1: Yes. Yes. Ohio State would, if they were to beat Penn State and now have both of those wins, and I know that the Notre Dame win has lost a little luster, but they also regained some luster by beating USC the way they did. So... Um, I would I would think, yes, Ohio State would be if I were still voting, would be my number one team at that point and would probably it's more. But more importantly, what is the what is the, the committee going to do? The committee votes mm-hmm. on resume. So, yeah, Ohio State should be number one at that point. Will the committee look at undefeated Georgia at that point, two time defending national champion and the game control that they've more or less had and still put them number one? Maybe, but I think that ultimately they would say the two big wins that Ohio State would have at that point would be the best resume in college football.
2: Andrew? Yeah, Ohio State should be the number one team if they beat Penn State and nothing crazy happens, like you said, because the the Notre Dame win is massive. Um, You know, you get a top 10 win on the road, and then you have a top 10 win at home. And, you know, especially with... I think we we talked about this a little bit like Ohio State, the teams that they have played have not exactly had great after they've played them starts like Maryland lost to Illinois right after Ohio State played them and Indiana's bad and Purdue's bad and there are teams that have just not really played well. But you, but you would you would have the two best wins in the country, and I think when you stack that up, there are a lot of other really good wins. I think Oklahoma beating Texas is big. Uh, Washington beating Oregon is big. Like there are other teams that you can point to and say that's a really good win. Well, that's a really good win too. But ah, that's a really good. Well, at what point does two, even if you don't think they're as good like even if you think that like the Oklahoma win over Texas is more impressive than Ohio State beating Notre Dame or Penn State, like at what point is Ohio State winning two of those games more impressive than Washington winning one? So Ohio State should be the one, the one, the one seed. The argument for Penn State, I think is a little bit harder because then you're saying, all right, do they have the best win in the country? And I think, I I don't, I I, like, I'm not saying that they don't. I'm just saying that reasonable minds could maybe disagree a little bit more about that because like we've talked about Penn State's schedule. They haven't really played anybody. Um, Their schedule, I think, might be better than we thought. You know, West Virginia is better than I think a lot of people thought. You can kind of look at some of their games and be like, okay, well, they, they played well, they won by this much or they won by that much. So I think with Penn, I think with Ohio State, it's an affirmative. Yes, like absolutely. They should be the number one team in the country. If Penn State wins, I have a hard time get. I have a harder time getting there than I would with Ohio State. I'm not saying I don't think I can get there. I just I think I would land at two behind Georgia. I think I have. I would have a harder time putting them at one than I would at uh than Ohio State.
0: You don't think this win would be better than Georgia's win over Kentucky? <laughs>
2: It would, no, it would absolutely be better than no, their one so over I'm, I'm genuinely like, asking. I'm I understand. Not... I understand. But, like, the committee also ranks, like, talent. And they also rank who's better. And I understand resume is big, but they also rank the better teams. And, like, I don't know. I they, if, if Georgian – Is that true, Nathan? I, well, they do look at a lot of
1: metrics. They do look at, uh, you, he, know, um, you know, a, a lot of different statistical things. Uh, the thing that would cost that would hurt Penn State or Ohio State in that case is that they haven't been especially electric in the way that they've put up points, shall we say? It would be a very interesting case this year where like where defense would really be carrying this for so many teams, where we've been so used to, you know, high powered offenses being what a lot of the conversation is about around those top four teams. Um, I, I hear what Andrew's saying about reasonable minds differing in my, in my mind, it's like, well, who would have a better road win among the undefeated teams at that point than Penn state? And would that be the tiebreaker among all the teams that would plausibly be in that conversation at that point? Um, I think we can all agree though, that like either Penn state or Ohio state would have to be
2: higher than Michigan in that ranking. Right. Oh yeah. 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 The, the, The thing that I, the thing Nathan brought something up and I'm thinking about it now. I think it also depends on how this game goes. Like if Ohio state wins, like, I'm not saying they wouldn't deserve it. I'm just saying like in the minds of resume voters, like I think that it would go along what, like if, if one of this, if one of these teams wins this game by like multiple scores, like if Ohio state walks out there and wins 31 to 14, like that to me would really signify that, um, or it should signify to the voters that, you know, that should be a blinking lights, exclamation points, that they're the number one team in the country right now. I, I'm i not saying it'd be right. I'm just saying I don't know if like a 20 to 17 walk-off win, you know, kind of like another, you know, you have another slugfest where there are some issues with Ohio State that you could point to and say, oh, well, this didn't really go great or this didn't really go great. Like, I think if there's another kind of slugfest like that against Penn State, like you had against Notre Dame, where it ended seventeen to fourteen, and they needed all sixty minutes and 60, 60 minutes to score uh, to score their seventeenth point. Like, I, I I think that that might hurt because there's not a lot of style points there, and I think beating beating a top ten team by a significant margin, I think, would matter a lot.
0: Nathan, I think you. Just- <laughs> The defensive point is an interesting one, I think, because obviously is known for their defense, especially now with Brock Bowers being out for the next four or six weeks. Michigan's Michigan, but they also haven't played anybody. Florida State's probably more offensive, and Washington, clearly more offensive. But then you look at Oklahoma, you look at Penn State, then you're starting to get into the defense. It, this, does that matter? <laughs> trying to figure out how to phrase this question here the committee clearly ba- values balance balance and style points are probably the two things that get you over the top when you're talking about a top four in this situation and they have showed that year in and year out can you have style points on defense though Can that because typically when you think about style points, you think about offensive flash? Like Andrew just mentioned, if they win this game 34 to 14, that's saying something. But can you win a game defensively and still be considered style points, especially on Saturday, where this might be a defensive back and forth game? Just because of, you know, like we've been saying all week, these are two of probably the best three defenses in the country right now.
1: Well, yeah, I think that a the, the committee does respect if you are just dominating an opponent. You know, to to some extent, what Ohio State did last week to Purdue, and now Purdue's not a great offense by any means, but then when they're not a great offense, then you have to just absolutely stifle them. So that when you stop that first drive of the game, force a missed field goal, and then do like, what was it, like three or four three and outs in a row? Like when you're yeah. just kind of just flattening a conference opponent like that, like that, is something that the committee pays attention to. When you have even games like the Maryland game for Ohio State where you hold a team to 17 points and and 7 of that was on a short field, like those sort of things matter to the committee. And really though, at the end of the day, it, there's I mean I know we're going to discuss it. We're going to because it's all going to be important. It's going to almost be more important. That first ranking will be more important if Ohio State loses to some extent than if it wins. It'll be nice to say that you're number one if that's what they deserve to be at that point. But this is all—I mean, this—this this, we're, we're so far away from the end of this. Ohio State can lose Saturday, win the Big Ten championship game because there's there's just so many roads for that to happen. But setting aside all of the Michigan shenanigans that we're talking about earlier on this thing, you know, if Ohio State loses to Penn State and then Michigan beats Penn State and then Ohio State beats Michigan, there's there's a road for Ohio State to be the Big Ten championship game representative and and be the team that has the most rightful claim to a playoff spot. So we think. So I, it's really more just about Ohio State's got to find a way to keep winning games. Ohio State's got to find a way for this offensive line to win on Saturday and then for this offensive line to keep growing over that, as we've talked about before, like the chunks of this season, like they're about to come to the end of like one chunk, this huge game on Saturday, and to, to a lesser extent than having to make that trip to Wisconsin, coming off an emotional win, I still would kind of cluster those two things together. And then you've got another three-game bill between Rutgers, Michigan State, and Minnesota to get you into the game. And I think that that, you know, getting through Saturday and finding a way to win, even if it's the way you win at Notre Dame, finding a way to win by one point, and then build towards that, that problem that you have at the end of the season against Michigan.
0: I wish we would have thought of the idea of like, oh, the season's in chunks before the Notre Dame game, like maybe in like July. Because then we could have had little titles for every little checkpoint. I'm like, okay, what's the theme of the first four weeks? What's the theme of the second four weeks? What's the theme of the third four weeks? But we're already into the year. Two more things I want to talk about. And one of them, we'll save the Kyle McCord one for last. Marvin Harrison Jr., Andrew, talked about his frustrating day at Purdue where he had six catches for 105 yards and a touchdown. But he focused specifically on the, the, the drops what did he say about that? What, I, what He got asked about the drops in a way, and he, he gave an answer that was a little more emotional than maybe I was expecting him to give. He kind of take, took it personally, the fact that he was dropping so many balls. What did he have to say? And from his words on Wednesday evening, does it change at all maybe what you're expecting from him for a guy who's trying to, for from his standard, bounce back from what was a bad game for him?
2: It doesn't change anything for me. I just, I, you know, I just think it was another impressive comment. Um, you know, the quote that really stuck out to me was if it's an incomplete pass, it's a drop for me, whether I touch it or not. Um, yeah, he, you know, he had some drops. You know, he mentioned that I think one of the drops he should he shouldn't have had his gloves on because of the weather. Um, but he, <laughs> to have a receiver say that if the ball is thrown my way, it needs to be a completion. And if it's not, it's a drop. That's that's something else especially when you're coming off of a game for six catches for 105 yards and a touchdown like it, who in the world is six catches 105 yards and a touchdown not good enough for right like who is that not good enough for in college football you're going to have to struggle to find some names that are that are on that list so that you know i thought that i was really impressed about that but you know he he mentioned that you know he kind of holds himself to you know his dad's standard um you know he's like hey look you know my dad's a hall of famer and of course you compare yourself to him. And I think, Stephen, you you asked him this question, which I thought was a really good follow-up. You said, you know, most people try to run away from that. And not in like an I'm scared type of way, but most people try to run away from that in a I am my own person. I know his name His name is literally Marvin Harrison Jr. <laughs> right. But I know most people try to run away with that. Um, you know, it's, it's not like anybody – I'm sure he wasn't growing up playing youth football. And they said, now introducing number 18, Marvin Harrison Jr. And some kid who's like on the eighth grade team on the other side goes, dang, I wonder who that guy is. Like everybody knows, who <laughs> everybody knew. Everybody knows who that dude is. So you know, you you had the good follower. He was like, no, I do kind of lean into that because that's a standard. Because look, he's an NFL Hall of Famer, and he's one of the better the father. The father, the not father. the son. Yes, the father. We we <laughs> have discussed this off air that you know, yeah. Stephen and I have Stephen and I have had some talks about that. But uh, the the father is in the Pro Football Hall of Fame right now, and you know. He was basically just saying, look, my standard is perfection. And I almost feel like I can never hit that standard because you can never be perfect. And, you know, he he did get oddly deep with that. You're right, because it turned into a the standard is my father and the standard is the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And the standard is all of these great things. And the standard is to be perfect. And that's just not what you'd expect to hear from. A college kid after six catches 105 yards and a touchdown you'd expect to hear there's always things I can get better at you know blah 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 you know I, I want to do this I want to do that it, it just kind of a cliche answer but for him to say like the standard is to make to make it to Canton that that really kind of struck a chord with me I it, it didn't change the way that I think about him or anything um you know it didn't make me think anything differently or anything better of him or higher of him than I already did. But um, you know, it, it did definitely kind of strike me as, as unique that he was already thinking this way.
0: Nathan, the reason I wanted to bring all that up is obviously the Rose bowl in 2021, that year was kind of his coming out party, but this Penn state game a year ago, he had started bubbling a little bit. And that was really the first game of the 2022 season where it's like, oh, that might be the best wide receiver in the country. And then he built on it from there. But whether it's that game, and then obviously what he was doing in the Georgia game before he got knocked out, he was kind of dominating both of those games. Against Penn State, he had 10 catches for 185 yards, no touchdowns, but was making some very key plays and key moments for that for that for Ohio State. I think there was a moment where he was describing it after the game where he and C.J. Stroud, he was supposed to run, run uh, uh, I think a go route or whatever he was supposed to run. He looks at C.J. Stroud, C.J. gives him a look, and he breaks that off and he runs a slant instead. And it's at a key moment. I think it was on the like third or fourth down at a much-needed completion that they needed in that moment. And then obviously the, the Georgia game, he has five catches for 106 yards and two touchdowns before he gets knocked out. Georgia had no answer for him. Penn State's probably going to do everything they can to try to take Marvin Harrison Jr. away. But regardless of whether Emeka Ibuka plays or not, if he plays, he's not going to be a hundred percent. That's just a fact of the matter. Do they need a dominant Marvin Harrison Jr. on Saturday? A dominant Marvin
1: Harrison Jr. on Saturday again. I feel like we're going a little bit back though to the. I mean, his dominance is dependent on the rest of this infrastructure holding up against Penn State. Like I don't, I don't know how another way to look at it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know what he can do if this offensive line isn't holding up if Cam McCord is is not operating as he needs to operate like it's just it's it's that's why receivers are a little bit tricky because they're like so and when you have this kind of weapon it's so massively advantageous but there's so many things that can go wrong before that guy even gets a chance to really do his job so Ohio State's got to figure that out but i think it, i I don't know that he has to be dominant I I think that it's because for him, you know, when I think of Marvin Harrison Jr., it's not necessarily always a volume thing. Sometimes it is more of a moment's thing. When I thought back of that Penn State game last year, I don't necessarily think of him just like going off consistently for like a long stretch of time, right? But I definitely remember those connections that he had with CJ Stroud, where he, you know, they had that sort of silent connection that, that, that they could work off and, and, and make those plays when they counted the most. And I don't know that he has that yet with Kyle McCord, but I just think that that is maybe the more critical thing. Like, do you, it, it's just having the presence to make those plays at the most crucial moments and then have that presence.
0: He had that connection with C.J. Stroud. He had that connection with Kyle McCord when they were in high school, and it seems like it's something that's growing throughout this season and continue to get back to where it was in high school when they won three state championships together. But Kyle McCord told an interesting story on Wednesday evening, and it's like the impact that Dwayne Haskins has had on this program, even to today, is still very much felt. Kyle McCord, Nathan, you were there for the story when Kyle McCord was at the 2018 Penn State-Ohio State game. How much of that game had the impact on Kyle McCord now? that is that game responsible for why Kyle McCord is an Ohio State Buckeye right now? Well, I don't
1: know if I would go so far as to say that, but I would say that the Ohio State was not really on his radar at that point, point. Mm-hmm. and it was because... That was, Ohio State was not seen as a a hospitable place for like a pocket passer quarterback. They just used different athletes at quarterback for the most part. And were at least most famous for using different kinds of athletes in that era, right? And Dwayne was the first guy to really change that. I mean, you can say Dwayne was. It's Ryan Day. It's, you know, Urban Meyer hiring Ryan Day. There's a lot of other factors that go into it. but. But the way that Dwayne Haskins led that win and that comeback win for people who don't remember 2018, uh, Penn State's up two touchdowns with, you know, halfway through the fourth quarter, Ohio State rallies and, and wins that game in Beaver Stadium, like that definitely at least opened McCord's eyes, the way he put it, to what Ohio State might be now. And that if that it was someone that if they came around and if they started paying attention to him and if they started recruiting him that maybe it would make sense, but that was like very early on. It was really, you know, uh, by the end of that season, um, he didn't get his Ohio state offer. Like he already had a Penn state offer at that point. Didn't get his Ohio state offer until January of that year. But by April, he was a commit like that happened pretty quick. And you could see how quickly that game kind of planted the idea in his mind. And then the relationship with Ryan day built pretty fast after that. So within four months, he goes from you know not really being, um, not really considering Ohio State and, and having that in his mind among the places that he even might end up, to being the guy. And then now here he is, four years after that, he's starting in this game.
0: He talked about that a lot too when he was still in high school. How important Dwayne Haskins was in getting him here, just not not because Dwayne Haskins was recruiting him, but just because Dwayne Haskins those five. The, those, you know, 4,000 plus yards, those 50 touchdowns, obviously set Ohio State on the trajectory that it is with its quarterbacks. The reason I brought that story up is I do want to cl- close out with this before we take one last break. And after this break, we're going to talk with some – John Johnny McGonigal from Pin Live will join us on this pod. And then also we'll talk with T.S.U. later. What do you want to learn about Kyle McCord, Nathan, on Saturday that we don't already know? Because I think the first big game, that's almost a checkpoint. It's, the checkpoints are learning something new about Kyle McCord every time. In the first checkpoint, it revealed what probably his special trait was, especially on that game-winning drive. What do you want to learn about Kyle McCord against Penn State on Saturday?
1: You know, Notre Dame was a good team, very good team, with a good defense, like a good defense. And Notre Dame, or I'm sorry, Penn State might might be like an elite team with an elite defense. And more to the point, this defense now has six games worth of data to know exactly the best way to attack Comichord. You've got a, a veteran defensive coordinator, Manny Diaz, who who knows what he's doing and is, has come up with these plans numerous times before. And you've got three really strong defensive ends and some other guys up front for this Penn State team that are legit. And frankly, they're doing it against an offensive line that, um, hasn't played with that same level of performance to this point. So, you know, talk to him about this last night because obviously, as I had pointed out, other people have talked about things got a little bit loose, I thought, against Purdue last week when a, a week where Purdue was bringing a lot of pressure. I think they were, you know, by the PFF numbers, they press, they they blitzed on like 73% of the snaps, uh, his dropbacks. That's a pretty hefty margin, obviously, and it wasn't, you know, they were always bringing five guys, sometimes six, seven, eight, and, you know, McCord, I think, just seeing that helps, like, getting more used to being in pressure situations. It's going to look different when Penn State does it. They've got a different way of attacking, and, and there's probably ways that Manny Diaz is dialing up and has been, because, again, hasn't had to show a lot against these first six opponents. I think there's probably some things that Kyle McCord hasn't seen before that are going to show up. This week, and by the way, like remember twenty twenty. I think I, I keep coming back to this when I think of like how teams are going to come after him. Twenty twenty, so second year, well, really third year, Justin Fields, but second year as a starter, they're playing Indiana mid season, and Indiana starts throwing things at him, and, and 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 at an NFL um loaded offensive line that really caused them a lot of problems. They they really flustered Justin Fields. There were things that that line just couldn't pick up um, and was very confused by. Just things that they had not seen Indiana do on film. And so what does Penn State do that com- – because Comichord said, like, hey, I agree. Ball was on the field too much. Got to be cleaner with it. Uh, ball protection was a big topic of conversation this week, point of emphasis. They're, they're working on those things. And the way that you – get around it. And the way the things that Ryan day had talked about earlier in the week, when I asked him about it is it's all preparation. Like you have to put yourself your mind in that place where chop Robinson is on your back. And like, what do you do? And that's an easy thing to say. It's an easier, it's a much harder thing to then take that to the field and have it work in that, that instant that it's in your head. And then it's, it's, it's the, the true thing is like, how do you prepare for the unexpected? How do you prepare for the thing that they haven't shown? And I'm sure Ohio State has done some of that, because you can look back at other years, other big games that Penn State's played in, other games that Manny has coach and said, oh, well, this is the thing that he dialed up for this situation in particular. So I'm sure they're reaching back to that stuff, but that's just a wrinkle to keep an eye on on Saturday is, is what is how is Penn State going to attack him? Um, and Because I don't think it's going to be with just the front four, and that leaves an opportunity for Ohio State Anytime you've got receivers like this, if you can beat that, it it opens things up. C.J. Stroud just ate lunch on that for two years. But uh, it comes with an obvious upside for the defense when they're trying that as well.
0: Andrew, what do you want to learn about Kyle McCord on Saturday?
2: Uh, Well, I mean, what's the phrase, you know? Great players make the simple plays. Um, you know, it, I want to see that, you know, it's and, and I'm not saying he can't do that or he hasn't done that, but it's a different type of pressure than the Notre Dame game. Like with the Notre Dame game, it was how does he handle the environment? Right. How does he handle, you know, the the road atmosphere, the road crowd? You're in, you know, a different place. This is your first time doing this. Like it, 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 there was a lot of different things. That were going to be challenging for Kyle McCord in that game, and they turned out to be challenging, right? And, and Ohio State played well, um, and it, especially in the moments that they needed to. I think that that was kind of the theme of that game: was that the moments that they had to have him, you know, those big plays that they got him. You know, you think about the fourth down, and you know that was a great play for you know Kyle McCord to to find. I think it was Cade over the middle. Um, you know, the the third and nineteen, obviously, like th- those were the plays that you saw him make, but the, you know, we've, we've talked about the interception that would have been for Notre Dame. And, um, you know, I mean, we'd be going into this game right now. If, if that pass had been intercepted, we'd be saying right now, Hey, (laughs) Ohio state has to win this game or else, you know, their, their kind of goals are are completely shot. So, you know, I think that you have got to avoid those type of errors, but it's also a different type of pressure because yeah, you're going to have the home crowd on your side. Yeah. It's going to be, you know, you're going to know which way the, you know, the wind can blow in in Ohio stadium because you've been there for a few years. Like there's just different tricks of the trade that happen when you play at home. But I want to see how do you handle it when protection breaks down? Because protection will break down at some point. Penn state's defensive line is too good not to get pressure on you. Like how do you get out of certain situations when pressure happens and what happens when that does, you know, when that does hit you in the face, because Notre Dame's defensive line was not as good as Penn State's defensive line. And Notre Dame does not get after the quarterback as much as Penn State does. So when you compare these big games, they're pressure moments, but they're different types of pressure moments. And I want to see how you handle that. How do you handle it when, you know, it's second and 17 and you just got drilled and now you have to get up and you have to get a first down? Like, what are the different things that you can respond to in moments like that? That's something that I'm fascinated to see because. You can't turn the ball over. You can't have those kind of moments that you almost had against Notre Dame or you almost had against Purdue. So you got to make the simple plays, but you've also got to make the simple plays, you know, when there's when there's a significant pass rush coming at you. For me, I think this is a week where Common Court has to prove
1: Mike Tyson wrong. I think Mike Tyson was the one who said it. Everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth and something like that. Paraphrasing. He said it with a much more high pitched voice than I have. Um. I think this is a week where he's got to prepare for getting punched in the mouth. He's gonna get punched mm-hmm. in the mouth, not legitimately. I don't think those guys are dirty. Well, maybe not, not, not literally. No, man, but, maybe but, yeah, it, but it happens. <laughs> Listen, you're playing a physical sport. It happens sometimes. Maybe on accident, but but, but, but at least figuratively, gonna get punched in yeah. the mouth, uh, smacked in the helmet, knocked on the ground. And um, what's the what's the comeback? What's the response? What's the what's the counter punch? And this that's where it, it's it's on Ohio State to protect him from that either through this offensive line like rising to the occasion and the way that that Ryan Day decides to call this game and getting this running game uh, on track. But it's also just an inevitable part. Like this is a week where uh, I keep going back to, to people like Justin Fields and CJ Stroud. Uh, Fields especially, like had some very physical games in the course of his career. And the, the trait that, uh, that lingers for me with him is just getting back up off the ground and doing it again and and winning most of those really physical games so this is a week for common to just sort of summon some of that He's, it's going to be a test
0: i want to see him make something not matter and maybe you guys I, i'm saying kind of the same thing you guys are saying but just in a different way but justin field sometimes made things not matter when the coaching aspect of it was equal. Like Ryan Day called a good play. The defensive coordinator on the other side called a good play too. And you know, these, everything breaks down. Justin Fields just takes off and goes gets the first down. CJ Stroud against Notre Dame. They finally send the blitz. But because he's so good at pre-snap, he recognized it before anything happened. And so he he hits Xavier Johnson for a touchdown at a big time moment in the game. Kyle McCord's making something not matter probably is closer to what CJ Stroud's is and it was Justin Fields' is. Because Very few people are as fast as Justin Fields is, but when that moment comes up on Saturday, because it is, there's going to come a moment in the game where, as you said, protection breaks down, or Penn State just calls, dials up the right defensive call for whatever Ohio State calls, and so the look is not there. What does Kyle McCord do in those moments to make that not matter? And he gets the conversion anyway, whether it's a third down, whether it's a touchdown, whether it's not taking a sack. What does he do to make the fact that, Everything is going wrong, not matter, because Kyle McCord just took a step in his quarterback development and is ready to really lead this team down the field in those situations. I thought the first game was more just about mental, that he could handle those moments. I think now I want to see him actually go out there and create some moments of his own. You guys should really go check out the Thursday pod. We got really in-depth for like two hours, breaking down a lot of different stuff, Ohio State's offensive line, Penn State's defensive line, Ohio State's defensive line, players who might be impact players in this game, all that. So check out that pod as well. We're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, I'll be John, joined by Johnny McGonagle from Live, where he'll talk about Penn State, Drew Aller, Nicholas Singleton, Katron Allen, on all down the list there. And he'll break that down when we come back here. On Buckeye Talk, and we're back on Buckeye Talk. I'm joined by Pin Lives Johnny McGonigal and he is going to tell us everything that we need to know about Ohio State's opponent for Saturday, Penn State, number seven team in the country. I just want to start with Drew Aller, and obviously, it's been a thing at this point that Penn State doesn't have any explosive plays. They're last in the country in explosive plays. Is that a product of young starting quarterback? Them not wanting to put too much on his plate. Or is it just like the scheme of the offense James Franklin runs? Like how much? How much are they asking Drew Aller to actually throw the ball down the field?
3: Yeah, Stephen, thanks for thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, it's it's a fun week, and uh, anytime we <laughs> do these crossovers, absolutely. Um, yeah, with, with Drew and, and with the downfield passing offense or, or the lack thereof, really uh, through six games so far this season it's it's not that Drew can't do it that's certainly not the case I mean you flip on the film from uh even his deep ball that went incomplete because it was a drop but you know when he had to fill in last year in the season opener against Purdue yeah. uh he he threw a deep and it was a dime uh, so he's capable of doing that you look at the 33yard catch that Liam Clifford had at, at Illinois uh a cross hash you know cross field throw that few college you know quarterbacks can make so Drew can do it it's just a matter of what Penn State has wanted to be uh, from an identity standpoint on offense so far uh, this season. They've been stringing together long drives. They've been focusing on you know, taking what the defense is giving them, and a part of that is having a first, you know, first year starting quarterback in Drew Aller, and you know, not wanting him to push it deep. I know there was uh, some discourse on Twitter last week about that, or you know, with James Franklin's press conference, everything like that. Um, but Franklin is happy to see. Drew Aller take the check down to to take what is in front of him. Uh, you know, defenses have been playing a lot of too high safety, you know, just trying to take away uh that deep ball. And and it's also kind of a referendum on the wide receivers that Penn State has. They don't have a Marvin Harrison Jr., they don't have an Emeka Buka. I mean, Keandre Lambert Smith uh is a nice receiver and is more of a, you know, know, kind of a yak guy, you know, kind of, you mm-hmm. know, make a catch it on on a drag route, try you know, take it 25-30. Um, but they don't have a Jahan Dotson. They don't have a K.J. Hamler, uh, Chris Godwin. Um, and I, I think that really plays into it as well. The wide receiver position has been a primary question mark around this team, you know, going back to spring camp. Uh, and so I think a lot of it goes into that. But a lot of it really is just the, the offense that they've wanted to play and, and you know, the, the talent that is surrounding Drew Aller.
0: John Clifford was there forever, forever and a day. and. Clearly, Drew Allard being the five-star recruit that he was, there's an expectation that Penn State's quarterback play is going to take a jump up. Now, is that supposed to happen in Week 7? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe it's not. But I guess what what makes him different than what Ohio State fans have grown accustomed to seeing from Sean Clifford over the last two or three years here?
3: Yeah, I think if you just watch Drew throw the ball, like I mentioned that that pass he had at Illinois uh, down the sideline to Liam Clifford. I mean, it was just on a on a dime. Uh, he's been super efficient, uh, in the red zone, specifically, you look at some of the throws he's made in the tight windows. Uh, there was a touchdown to Tyler Warren a couple weeks back. That was just, you know, again, few college quarterbacks can make that throw. And so when comparing him to Sean Clifford, he's got better arm strength, you know, just the, the zip on the ball, the way the ball comes out of his hands. Uh, now granted Penn state hasn't been, you know, tr- You know, Trace McSorley was a great college quarterback and an electric player, uh, but they haven't had a guy like Drew Aller in terms of his arm strength and and his ability. Uh, And I think the pleasant surprise, uh, because you see those tangibles on film from when he was at Medina, Ohio, you know, in high school. But it's the intangibles. It's the, the composure and the poise under pressure. We saw that in week one against West Virginia, running a lot of cover zero blitzes, just trying to get to him and get inside his head. And he didn't let a lot of that get to him. And so uh, I'm I'm very interested to see how Jim Knowles decides to to play this thing. You know, they, they haven't been blitzing, as you mentioned on our podcast, uh, Stephen, earlier this week. You know, Jim Knowles hasn't been blitzing as much as he did last year. I'm curious if that remains the same this weekend against a first year uh, starting quarterback in Drew Allard.
0: You guys came into the season where there's a conversation of who has the best running back tandem in in the Big Ten. Obviously, Michigan, Blake Quorum, and Donovan Edwards in that conversation. We, uh, covering Ohio State, thought it would be Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams, but that hasn't necessarily worked out quite that way because Mayan Williams, even before they were dealing with injuries, wasn't necessarily a part of things here. You guys have Nicholas Singleton and Katron Allen. It doesn't, from the outside looking in, the numbers haven't been maybe what you thought that they were going to be. Is that a product of the lack of wide receiver talent and teams are just kind of loading the box on those guys? Or is it what's why what's holding those two guys back from being what maybe we were expecting to be based off of what we saw last year?
3: Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's what you mentioned, Uh, the lack of wide receiver talent and its defense is challenging Penn State to throw it deep against them and Mm -hmm. go into this season. And I mentioned West Virginia, how they played Penn State and how a lot of teams have played Penn State so far this season, Iowa uh, being another, you know, Nick Singleton and Katron Allen was the proven commodity on that offense. And we saw what they did as a true freshman tandem last season. You saw what Nick Singleton did in the Rose Bowl and what you know, Katron Allen was able to accumulate over the year, actually having more carries than Nick Singleton did, which, uh, you know, comes as a surprise to some, uh, given the national profile that Nick Singleton has, Mm. Uh, But both of those guys, they're, they're, they're two of the best running backs in college football. Both will be playing on Sundays, uh, in a couple seasons, both sophomores right now have to come back for another year next year. Uh, I think this year they just haven't gotten roll. It feels like it's a it feels like it's a matter of time. It feels like a matter of when not if that they break off those long runs, especially in Nick's case. Uh, you look at last year through six weeks of the season, I believe he had five rushes of forty yards or more. His long so far this season is nineteen yards. It's frustrating for him. It's frustrating for Catron, it's frustrating for Jaywan Sider, the running backs coach. Uh, But he talked to us last week and said that he's really comfortable with how the running game has been going so far, taking four, five, six yards uh, when the defense, again, is giving it to them and fighting for those extra yards. And I do think that those long runs will pop eventually. But the fact that they didn't against UMass and Northwestern, and it feels like Penn State fans have been waiting just week by week. It's like, all right, is this the week that Nick Singleton's going to break a 70-yard run after he did so so many times earlier in last season? It's, It's, again, it's just a waiting game at this point.
0: Obviously, Olu Fashanu, it's him and Joe Alt in a conversation of who's going to be the first tackle taken off the board next spring. But those other four, Olu was on that line last year when JT, Maloa had the game that he had. But a lot of that, we've even mentioned this at times, that a lot of that didn't come against Olu. It came on the other side. Is that offensive line, the, the other four, is it better, worse, or the same in comparison to what Penn State's offensive line was a year ago?
3: You know, it's interesting because I immediately go to, obviously Olu is the big piece on that offensive line. It's a guy that I've written a lot about over the last year. It's a you know guy that uh, you know, NFL draft types are you know, salivate over a guy like that in time, in terms of his skill, ability, quickness, uh, feet, everything. But last year, Juice Scruggs, the center for Penn State, ended up going in the second round to the Houston Texans. He was kind of the leader of that group. Uh, and mm-hmm. now Hunter Norzad steps into that role. And I think he's done a nice job. Uh, But, you know, to his left and to Olu's right at left guard, you know, Landon Tangwall was supposed to be the starting left guard uh, coming into this season, had to medically retire from football, you know, a couple weeks before the opener. Uh, and so J.B. Nelson has slid in there and J.B. picked up an injury at Northwestern a couple weeks back and was, you know, forced to exit that game. And, you know, Ben Guyon, who is a, a load of a dude, I mean, he's 350 pounds and every bit of it uh, came in at left guard. And so I would expect to see both of those at left guard. Right tackle is the spot that J.T. to him. He, oh, he just ate alive last year. And that was Bryce Effner at right tackle. He's uh, you know, he ended his football career. He's not playing at Penn State anymore. Uh, JT, if he lines up on that side, will be going up against Caden Wallace, who has shown over the last few years, he's a veteran, uh, you know, a lot of starts under his belt, but he has given up the big sack before. And so he can't do that again on Saturday. Uh, And if he does, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a hook on him and and they throw Drew Shelton uh, in there, who was a true freshman last year, started the final five games of the season, including the Rose Bowl, when Olu went out with an injury late against Ohio State. Uh, so that's a matchup I'm looking for. And and just, you know, an intriguing part of this game is where does JT line up?
0: So you just mentioned that you won't be surprised if he's out kind of on a short leash. Is Penn State still trying to figure out their best five, six games into the season?
3: I think so, because, I mean, you've seen, too, even at right guard, I mentioned left guard. At right guard, you know, Sal Wormley, who's a veteran um, has been starting, but Nick Dawkins has gotten in there. Uh, they've used Van Gaion, I mentioned at left guard, they've used him at right guard as well. And so I don't think it's necessarily a, a group in transition or you know a, a fluid group necessarily because they've got their veterans that they do rely on and that they do start. Uh, but Phil Troutwine, the offensive line coach, has no qualms about rotating guys in. Uh, and finding the best combination. And I do think that that is another reason why the running game hasn't totally clicked so far, Um, and and also the blocking end of it, too, from the tight ends. Uh, I do think that Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren, Tyler Warren specifically, like they're physical, they do block, but Brenton Strange, another second-round draft pick last year at tight end, uh, was so crucial in the running game and especially sealing off the edge for Nick Singleton to get loose, and I think they've been missing him a little bit, too.
0: So let's talk about defense, because obviously that's why we're all coming. We're all coming on Saturday to watch Ohio State's defense and Penn State's defense. (laughs) It seems there were at times Penn State's defense gave Ohio State fits last year, and obviously they have been giving a lot of teams fits this year. But as you guys are covering this team and you look at what their schedule has been so far, are you impressed with the defense, but also is there a, a reason to be on hold for just how good this defense is until they've played a with all due respect to Iowa a you know above average offense it's funny you mentioned that Stephen so
3: last week they played UMass and in terms of explosive plays plays of 20 yards or more UMass was the most explosive offense that Penn State has played so far this season now that is a big knock on Iowa. That's a big knock Mm -hmm. on Northwestern and Illinois. I mean, those guys are not moving the ball down the field in chunk plays by any stretch of the imagination, especially the Hawkeyes. Um, But the way that I look at it is just, you look at the talent on that side of the ball and what we've already seen uh, from some of these players against, you know, top competition. Kalen King is every bit of a first round corner. Uh, Abdul Carter, I don't think has really played up to his potential or billing so far this season at linebacker, but was an absolute menace as a true freshman. Um, you look at what kind of impact Harold Perkins made at LSU last year, and there was a lot of love around him. I feel like Abdul was a similar kind of player uh, in terms of getting after the quarterback you know, making plays sideline to sideline. And then up front, uh, which I think is going to be the key to this game uh, is Chop Robinson, Adisa Isaac, and deny Dennis Sutton. And even Amin Vanover is a guy who kind of gets overlooked in that group off the edge at defensive end because yeah, Iowa, you know, Northwestern, Illinois, like, you know, they're just, they're not offenses that scare you by any means, but the way that those three and those four really have gotten after the quarterback and have pressured opposing offenses. I mean, even if they're not getting the sack, they're affecting the play. Uh, and Chop Robinson is a first round guy. Adisa Isaac is going to be playing in the NFL. And I think the same of Denai Dennis Sutton, uh, who's a sophomore and made an impact as a true freshman last year, former five-star talent. So um, I look at the talent of the group and not necessarily uh, who they face so far when trying to judge uh, what Manny Diaz is working with.
0: With that defensive line, those three defensive ends, Isaac, Chop, Robinson, and Dennis, um, Danny Dennis Sutton, do they ever put all three of those guys on the field at the same time? Because they'll do that a lot at Ohio State. They'll, they do, and it's a hell of a lot
3: of fun to watch. I mean, it's I'm I'm sure it's not fun if you were Brian Ferens, if you were you know, <laughs> Northwestern's offensive coordinator, you know, having to deal with those three on the field at the same time. But they have shown that look, uh, especially on third and long, like obvious passing downs, getting your three best pass rushers on the field and just letting them go to work. Uh, and we've talked to Shop Robinson. We talked to him after practice this week on Wednesday and asked him about that that three down look that all three of those guys are in and. And he enjoys it. And it's hard not to if you're you know, producing the way that they are and, and having that kind of success. So they definitely like to mix it up. Manny Diaz is a creative guy. Uh, and so I'm interested to see you know, what kind of angles they, they decide to take, what kind of blitz packages they decide to employ uh, against
0: Kyle McCord in that Ohio State offense. Yeah, the, Diaz, the blitzing part, I mean, that was the thing with Jim Knowles when he got to Ohio State. And obviously, he's done it less this year than even last year, how much he done it. How much blitzing? How exotic a blitz is should we be expecting to see from Manny Diaz? He loves a corner blitz.
3: Uh, We saw Cam Miller uh, get two uh, sacks last week. We've seen Johnny Dixon uh, make big plays. I mean, even go back to the Ohio State game last year at the end of the first half. Uh, when Ohio State was driving for points, and Johnny Dixon comes up with a big play, uh, so he likes to mix in a corner blitz and is confident in those guys getting home to the passer and and surprising you know quarterbacks really. Uh, so he does like to get exotic with it. Um, you know the, the three you know the three defensive ends on the field at the same time. Uh, he'll he'll mix it up in the secondary too. Uh, so yeah, I, I think he likes to have fun with it and get creative. Um, but at the same time, too, when you're facing a Marvin Harrison Jr. and if Emeka Ibuka is healthy, I uh, wouldn't be surprised if he pulls his foot off the gas just a little bit uh, and trust his guys up front to get home.
0: Is Kalen King going to spend the majority of his day on Marvin Harrison Jr.? And how much are you expecting him to see Marvin and Kalen just one on one? Let's see which who's the better first rounder versus how much they might put a safety over the top and just try to take Marvin Harrison Jr. out of the game like Notre Dame did.
3: I think it's going to be more of the latter. I do think Kalen will be matched up on Marvin Harrison, and I was able to ask him about that after Wednesday's practice and, and how excited he is for that opportunity. He said he's ready to show the world what kind of cornerback he is, and he knows that this kind of challenge, he didn't he didn't take it as like, a, oh, Marvin Harrison isn't that good, let me go do my thing. Like He respects mm-hmm. Marvin Harrison Jr., a lot and said that he's arguably the best receiver in college football for every reason that, you know, you flip on the tape and you see why. Right. Uh, and so I do think Kalen will be matched up on him. I think that's a, that's a matchup that a lot of people are looking forward to. Uh, but if Penn state were smart too, uh, it's, I, I don't think they would travel him the entire way and just shadow him the entire game. Like, you know, Johnny Dixon is a very capable corner and will probably be a, you know, the third, fourth round guy uh, when he ultimately decides to go to the NFL. I think they have a lot of faith in him, uh, and they've got really athletic safeties too. They've got four that they have rotated a lot this season. You know, Jalen Reed, KJ Winston, Zaki Wheatley, and Keaton Ellis. Zaki Wheatley is a former corner as well as Keaton Ellis. Uh, so they've got a lot of coverage skills as well. Uh, and Zaki is a ball hawk. I mean, you know, he has been, you know, you saw at the Auburn game last year, him making impact as a young player. I wouldn't be surprised if Zaki is maybe providing some, uh, some support and some help on, on Marvin and maybe, Uh, gets his hand in there for a big play
0: so two questions one philosophical and one just an interesting player Uh, we know who the big names are on both sides for this team obviously drew aller nicholas singleton you know katron allen you know olu fashanu you know chop robinson abdul carter who i voted i thought he could potentially be the big 10 defensive player of the year this year with the way he played last year is there an underrated guy on either side of the ball that no one is talking about that might be able to make a big impact on this game for penn State?
3: Yeah, I'll go on the offensive side of the ball. I kind of broke down everyone on defense already. So, uh, you know, on the offensive side of the ball, I mentioned Keandre Lambert-Smith is the number one wide receiver on this team. But the number two is Harrison Wallace, the third, Trey Wallace. Uh, We saw at the Michigan game last year, which was a game to forget for Penn State in so many ways, but Harrison Wallace made a big play downfield. I think it was like a 40, 42-yard catch. Uh, We saw in the opener against West Virginia, he had eight targets, seven catches. He missed some time. He missed a, a few games, really played minimally over the last few weeks, came back healthy uh, in the Northwestern game and, you know, er, er, excuse me, the, the UMass game. And he wasn't his normal. So he had a fumble. He, you know, he, he wasn't, you know, he, he had another missed opportunity downfield. Uh, but he is a guy that if Penn State is going to connect on a play downfield, Uh, and push it and really, you know, open up this Ohio State defense. I think it's Harrison Wallace that could do it. And, you know, him and Drew Aller have a great rapport. We saw that week one I mentioned, West Virginia getting a lot of targets. Uh, He's a guy that shouldn't be
0: overlooked. Number six for Penn State, the wide receiver. And then a quick, just big picture macro conversation type of thing. James Franklin has one win against Ohio State. And obviously he lost to both Ohio State and Michigan that last season i think the last two years he's lost to both ohio state and michigan first and foremost how is this game viewed from penn state's perspective and so because we know from ohio state's perspective penn state ohio state it's a competitive game but it's not the ohio state michigan game how is this game viewed from the penn state perspective of how they look at ohio state
3: every year it's it's the measuring stick it's the measuring mm-hmm. stick for penn state you know in so many ways not just on the field but you know nil facilities everything. But on-field success trumps everything Uh, when it comes to that conversation and that comparison. uh, Ohio State is the team that James Franklin and his program have aspired to not only catch, but eventually overcome. And I feel like this weekend, uh, a game that I feel is as evenly matched as it's been, you could argue 2017 was Penn State's best roster. Um, Mm -hmm. You could also argue that this is the deepest team that James Franklin has had now in his 10 years uh, as Penn State's head coach, which is kind of crazy. It feels like 10 years just went by super fast. Um, I, I do think that Penn State fans and the players and the coaches view this as the game every year for them, uh, is, is trying to beat Ohio State. And they've come really close, 2017, 2018, you know, even last year. Uh, they had an opportunity until JT just decided to go off. Um, I, I think that they view this as maybe their best shot uh, to not only take down Ohio State, but to parlay it into a college football playoff burst, something that they haven't been able to do so far. And uh, a lot of Penn State fans look back fondly on the 2016 upset. It was a little bit fluky, right? I mean, they had a blocked field goal that turned into a touchdown. I mean, they played stout defense in that game, nothing to take away from a team that ended up going on and winning the Big Ten title. But um, I think there's a lot of juice around this matchup because of what Penn State has talent-wise on both sides of the ball, and not just in the in the you know the first team, but really in the 2D.
0: Obviously, a win on Saturday puts them in the driver's seat with Michigan still left on the schedule. But I mean, these are three of the top nine teams in college football probably this year. Does it does Penn State need to win this game? Just so we'll a percentage You just mentioned it. James Franklin's been here for ten years. He's beaten Ohio State once, and ironically enough, that's the one year where they don't make the playoff when they beat Ohio State because Ohio State still gets in that year. Yeah, and it things are going to obviously change next year when the the twelve team college football playoff starts. So the idea of what making the playoff is is going to drastically change for all of us and how we cover this team. But does James Franklin, you mentioned this is probably the most evenly matched game that they've had maybe since twenty seventeen. Is this a need? Just for James Franklin's program, and maybe where the trajectory is, and where people, how people view it. Do they need a win like this? I think they do,
3: and and I think that if you ask James honestly, you know, if, if you had an off the record with him, I think he would tell you the same thing. I think they need mm-hmm. to win this game, uh, and I do think it's a game they can win. I, I, you know, I I know that I was going back and forth between who to pick uh, be, between these two, and I actually in my preseason predictions. Uh, had Penn State losing to Ohio State I do have them beating them after watching Kyle McCord a little bit you know we're not able to watch every game Uh, but you know from what I've seen I haven't been you know as impressed as I thought I might be Uh, and then really again that defense the defensive end group that Penn State has I think really has a chance to dominate this game but you know on a macro level I do think Penn State needs this win and and not only you know, for the for the long term of just, hey, beating Ohio State and having that under your belt from a recruiting standpoint, from everything that, that, that might follow. Uh, but from a you know, micro sense, from a, a short term sense, you know, you've got Michigan then upcoming in, in November. And with a team that, of this much talent, they're losing a lot of guys next year to the NFL. Kalen King, Chop Robinson, et cetera, um, that you would hate to miss a window like this that Penn State feels like they have they feel like they have a team that can compete for a national title this year and so uh to lose this Saturday uh would be I, I think would be pretty crushing
0: so I think you just hinted at that you have Penn State winning let's wrap up with this let me get a game score I think the line is minus four and a half right now in a game that may, many think is going to be a defensive stagnate between both of these teams what's your game score
3: 24 20 Penn State it's actually I'm pretty sure it's the same score maybe it was 24-21 in 2016. Mm. I don't think a blocked field goal touchdown is is going to be uh, in Penn State's future this uh, this weekend. I just like what Penn State has done. I mentioned the defensive ends and the pressure they've been able to apply. I also, despite all you know, the lack of the big plays on offense, I like the way that they've kind of handled themselves and stringing together those long drives of being methodical and chewing clock and giving their defense time to rest. Uh, and I think that their red zone efficiency is going to show up again. Uh, this weekend they'll be able to see out you know a game where maybe they get the ball back with four minutes and they need to kill the clock I think this team is positioned to do that
0: so there's Johnny's pick follow him at on Twitter or X or whatever you call that app nowadays <laughs> at Jay McGonigal 9 he works for Live. he does great stuff over there you guys go read their stuff as well as you get ready to watch Ohio State play Penn State on Saturday at noon when we come back T.C. will join me and we'll talk some betting stuff here on Buckeye Talk we're back on Buckeye Talk. I'm joined by t Shue. Thank you to Johnny McGonagall for joining us on Buckeye Talk as well. t Shue, this line, the Vegas line is anywhere from four to like five and a half. I've seen some places. I think your line is minus seven right now for Ohio State. Uh, just... If I was a betting man, tell me why I shouldn't stay as far away as possible from the Ohio State Penn State game this weekend.
4: <laughs> yeah, no. I think I think you're right. No, my my line I actually and I'm probably going to get kicked out of Buckeye Nation for this, but my line <laughs> is actually like a pick 'em and technically it's actually mm-hmm. Penn State minus a half point. Mm-hmm. So if I had to if I had to make a play in this game, it would be Penn State in the points. However, Whew. I don't you know, as I mentioned before, I don't bet against Ohio State. Uh, I think that's that's bad karma. So, it's fair. I'll do everyone a favor and, and stay away from that. Uh, you know, there there are a couple of things that I like about this game, but as far as like the the game side, I I don't want anything to do with it. I would have liked the the total under uh, earlier in the week when it was around fifty, but it's it's kind of got chopped down a few points here. So I I wouldn't want to play game under either plus you know that that's no fun for our listeners so uh there there are a couple things i I do like but nothing for me on the on the game side or total uh but i do think i do think this is going to be kind of a rock fight it's going to be i think similar to the notre dame game Mm -hmm. which leads me to a bet that we cash in the in the notre dame game and that's the team total under uh for, for penn state it's currently at 20 and a half i like penn state to go under 20 and a half i think even if my projection that ends up being right, and this game comes right down to the wire. I still think that's going to look like, you know, ex- again, like I said, that like the Notre Dame game is going to be like fourteen ten, fourteen fourteen, going into that last possession. So uh, I, I think I would I would take the team total under here for Penn State.
0: How is a game like this where I think we're all pretty much expecting this to be a rock fight, expecting the defense to be the star of the day for both sides. How is that impacting how people, if you want to hit up any prop bets, whether it's on Ohio state side or Penn state side, how they should be approaching some of those. Are there any of those that you're saying, Hey, these are good or these are these stay away from these ones right here. Yeah, This was really tough
4: to find some, some bets here that I, Mm -hmm. that I liked just because, you know, in a game without much off, you know, with, what I projected not be much offense. Like it, it's tough to find prop bets um, or, or really any bets for this game. But I do think in looking at how these teams kind of played each other last year, one thing that jumped out was you can get a Marvin Harrison jr. Alternate receiving yard line at over 110 yards at two to one odds. So I'm like, okay, he torched them last year. and mm-hmm. And that was really the, really just them going to him for, for one quarter. They finally realized, hey, they can't guard Marv, so let's just mm. go with him every third down. So I think it's worth at at two to one, it's worth a shot that they just feed him and just ride him throughout the game. Hopefully they they learn from last year and, and they just do that. Especially when you consider, you know, a Mecca may or may not play. If he does play, is he compromised? Uh, you know, and Julian Fleming just hasn't really done a whole lot this year that sparks a lot of confidence and And something like this. So I think, I think Marv's the best option uh, on the Ohio State offense. And then I also like going back to the well here, you know, this is kind of our new, our new gym. And that's the Kate Stover over receiving yards, over 42.5. It's only five yards higher than last (laughs) week. And uh, I'm pretty sure what last week we cashed in the first half, I think, or or close to it. So like, Yeah, yeah, I yeah, it's actually like, oh, that cashed already. So <laughs> yeah, going going back to the well with with Cade Stover over again. Again, for really for all the reasons I just said with Marv, Emeka being hurt, Julian Fleming being, you know, kind of a non factor for for much of the season in terms of receiving. I think Cade is the number two guy if Emeka can't go or it isn't a hundred percent. So I, I think I think I'd ride with those two guys uh, offensively.
0: It's real funny. Vegas is not caught up to the fact that Kate Stover is now Farmer Gronk full time and not just every couple of weeks here. It's been the most because as soon as you text me, I'll like, say, yep, there it is. This is the easiest money anybody could ever make. And the fact that it's still under 50 yards, basically, for him right now, Vegas has not caught up to that. And I am wondering how much of that is, one, well, just people just still coming around on the idea that Ohio State actually does throw to the tight ends, which is for you longtime listeners of Buckeye Talk, about two years ago, that was not the case when Doug and I decided to have a full blown argument over whether or not Jeremy Rucker was gonna have at least twenty catches in the season or not.
4: Yeah, I, I remember that episode. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I think it I I think it's partly just the you know, the casual college football fan, you know, Kate Stover is not a household name by any means. Mm-hmm. So I think he's just kind of flying under the radar. And I think this is kind of like those first quarter bets that we found last year where it's like Unless you really follow Ohio State specifically, you probably don't have an inkling as to to how that's going to go. So, you know, we'll we'll ride that until until the wheels fall
0: off. So we'll, we'll go back to Kate here. He's going to end up graduating me by the time they figure that out. <laughs> and Ohio State, Penn State—that's the biggest game of the week. You're you're saying you you still have Penn State favorite to win, or it's either that or a push for you. Outside of Ohio State, Penn State, any other best bets that people should be paying attention to? either during that noon kickoff or right after that game ends
4: yeah so this is not one i would encourage you to watch but i do think there's (laughs) some some profit opportunity here and that's minnesota playing iowa i'm gonna take the minnesota team total under 13 and a half so just put your bet in on FanDuel or whatever and just watch something else and, and just check your account later that's that's not something I would want to subject you to. You know, I'm, I'm not Jim Harbaugh. I'm not going to make you go watch an Iowa game. So just <laughs> uh, put your bet in, cash that that Minnesota team total under 13 and a half. I'll, I'll be surprised if they even hit double digits. So I like that bet. And then uh, another game I like, Oregon plays Washington State. Washington State got destroyed last week, 44 to six. Oregon coming off, obviously the, the tough loss to Washington in, in a game that, a lot of the stats say they probably should have won. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I like them. I like the Ducks here in, in a bounce back spot, laying 20 points. If you can get that under 21, uh, I, I like it. I, I project it um, north of, of 26. So a lot of value here as far as my projections go. So I'm going to lay
0: 20 with the Ducks. t is telling you guys to bet Iowa, but don't watch Iowa. I, I agree. Don't watch Iowa play football. If you don't have to, I might have to, depending on how this big Tim West shapes out. But you don't have to do that. Once again, t with the knowledge on the bets. Listen, man, he told you guys about Caged Over last week, and it happened. So you should probably be listening to T Shu again yeah, between, when it comes to Cade Stover.
4: But <laughs> between the Cade Stover prop and the the team total unders, we've been we've been cashing those quite a bit here lately. So we had a good week. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we had a rough week, but yeah. um, o- overall, we've we've done pretty well. I think. And these are these are always fun bets to make. Obviously, you know, in these prop bets, you know, don't don't go blow a, a bunch of risk a bunch of money on those. Th- these are more for fun. Obviously, mm-hmm. if you're a more serious better you know, follow me on X at tissue index. Uh, I release every bet that I personally make. So you can kind of tail those and and take those a little more seriously, but these are, these are some fun bets and we've been able to been able to cash.
0: Tissue often, very often knows what he's talking about. We're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, Nathan, myself and Andrew will be making our picks here on Buckeye talk. And we're back on Buckeye talk and it's time to make our game predictions. Ohio state versus Penn state at noon. On Fox on Saturday, the line is four and a half. Ohio State favored by four and a half points. The over and under is forty-five right now. Nathan, who you got?
1: We should say that's our, our benefactors at DraftKings that have four and a half and an over that's under true. forty-five. It's all over the place right now. So I did not make my pick based on necessarily that line. I kind of made it in a vacuum because it's been sliding around. And it just so happens to be like razor thin on the edge of those numbers. So I'm taking Ohio State 24 to 20, which would be uh, uh, not covering that spread, but also, and also under the 45 total. And um, I really went back and forth on this because there was a point this week where I think I was ready to predict Penn State to win this game. But at the end of the day, there's one team, I think these are two great defenses. I think Penn State has been great against a, a different level of opponent. I think Ohio State's been a little bit more tested and has come out of those tests. So I think there's an there's an equal, you can call both of these defenses great at this point relative to the rest of college football. So then I think it comes down to who can make the plays on offense. And there's one team that I have more confidence in the top end of their playmakers than I do the other. And that happens to be also the home team in this case. So I think this is going to be a four-quarter fight. I think this is going to have to be a huge game for this offensive line because Penn State is very motivated to come after and and take this away from Ohio State and end a, a lot of years of frustration in this series. And I think this is going to have to be a, a huge game for this defense. Penn State has not been explosive to this point. I don't think that means they can't be explosive. And I think Ohio State has to keep them in their place. It's it's sort of part of the Ryan Day legacy that he has kept Penn State in its place in this conference. And I think that analogy works, that, that term works in a couple of ways. This defense has to do that and keep them in front of them at all times and make Penn State drive for points. If it does that, I think it wins this game. And Ryan Day then, has to orchestrate this this week, he and his staff, to keep Penn State where they have been, just good, but underneath Ohio State. So again, 24 to 20, Ohio State win.
0: So Penn State covers and the under in that situation. I'm saying Ohio State wins 27 to 17, but the game is not going to be a 10 point game the entire day. I think that last seven points Ohio State gets, it's like, the explosive touchdown that you've seen Travion Henderson get at sometimes, or they connect with Marvin Harrison jr. And he makes somebody miss. They just score late. So a very late cover. I think the game is, it might be 20 to 17 headed into Ohio state's last meaningful drive, real drive, where they're driving down the field. And I think an explosive play might happen in that situation. I'm with you. I think it's going to be hard to come by points. I think it's going to be a back and forth affair. I think Penn state is going to challenge Ohio state's offense and its defense to an extent. I, And I think this is... Ohio State's not going to struggle to score, but it's not going to be a reflection of their offense the way it has been at other points in the season. I think it's going to be because this defense that Penn State has is just that good, that Manny Diaz might dial up some stuff that stagnates Ohio State's offense at times, Well, also Ohio State might do the same thing to Penn State at times. So 27-17, to Ohio State covers very, very late. I mean, like in the last four minutes of the game, very, very late. They cover, but it's still taking the under because I do think that defense is going to end up winning. This game, Andrew, what's your game score?
2: Yeah, I also had 24 to 20, actually, Ohio State to win. Um, You know, this is a game where I think if it was in Happy Valley, I would pick Penn State, but it's in Columbus and I'm picking Ohio State. You know, this is a game where it's going to come down to one or two plays in either direction. And I think Ohio State just has that one or two extra guys on the offensive side of the ball. You know, even if Emeka Ibuka's out, I mean, you still have Marvin Harrison Jr. and Penn State doesn't. You know, I think you still have, uh, you know, that type of playmaker on the offensive side of the ball that Penn State doesn't. But yeah, Penn State is going to give you a remarkably good fight. And the more that I think about this game, the more that I'm starting to get Notre Dame vibes a little bit because with Penn State, this very much feels like if not now, when, you know, like Penn State is kind of building for this game and building for this moment. And, hey, look, they've, they've had great defenses in the past or, you know, they've had, you know, really good quarterbacks, NFL quarterbacks or, you know, NFL level running backs. And they've had all of these great things. And it just kind of feels like, all right, well, now they've put together a lot of this. Right. You know, if you feel good about the offensive line if you feel good about the running backs which you should, you know, if you feel good about Drew Aller, you know, if you feel good about the receivers which a little dicey, but if you feel good about most of that, you can feel good about their offense. Their defense it speaks for itself. We've talked about how good they are both kind of in the counting stats and some of the advanced metrics. Penn State's defense might be the best defense in the country, and I just think of this game for Penn State as this very much has a feel of Well, we've got everything going for us now. This is our chance to take down Ohio State. Like, this is the chance for us to go into the shoe and do something that is really special and really cool because it's not just this is a win to put us on the map. Like, was that 2016 game or whatever it was? You know, this is not just a win for Penn State to get on the map. This is a win for Penn State to say we can compete for a national championship this year. So, Penn State's going to be really motivated. I think they're going to have some things up their sleeve because of that. We've talked about their explosive play rate. They know that. They're going to do some things, I think, to try and shake some things up. But Ohio State is just going to have one or two extra dudes that can make a play that are just that much better, just a smidge better than what Penn State has. So it's going to be close. It's going to go under. Penn State's going to cover. But Ohio State's going to win. So that's three Ohio
0: State wins, one Ohio State cover. And three unders, that's Ohio State versus Penn State on Saturday at noon inside of Ohio Stadium. Those are our game picks here on Buckeye Talk. Andrew, I thought you brought up an important point during that. Does Penn State need this win more than Ohio State needs this win? Just from a program perspective. Nathan, you're shaking your head, so go first.
1: No. These are both teams that – I mean, they're both top ten teams. Um, Mm. Ohio State has been – so many times in the the playoff era right left left right outside of that and um they can't take anything for granted and i don't think there's any point where they just say well we make it a lot so if we don't make it this year um the other thing is like ohio state is in a place like i started putting this list together like if ohio state doesn't make a big 10 championship game this year you see the list of guys for ohio state who Will not have even yeah. played in a Big Ten championship game. C.J. Stroud, Paris Johnson, Jackson Smith. Uh, the Jackson Jackson had COVID the, the he first did, year, he right? Co- the so only the Jackson only player
0: Jigma, from the now, 2020 class. class um, yeah, the only player from the 2020 class who has played a meaningful role in a Big Ten championship game were Julian Fleming and Lathan Ransom.
1: So, so Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Buka, Trevion Henderson, like it, it, a long list of really impressive players who will not have even played in a big Ten championship game. And, and uh, that is not something that... So I understand why you're asked the question. Ohio State is still... Ohio State knows how close it was last year. Ohio State knows how much of that foundation is back this year. Ohio State knows how far its defense has come. I think it knows what it can do if it gets on the field against any given team, but you're still just in an elimination situation. So no, I would not say that this game necessarily means more for Penn State than it does for Ohio State. It's the it's the first of three that are going to decide who goes to Indianapolis out of the Big Ten East and possibly who decides who represents the one team that represents the Big Ten in the playoff. And it's massive for both these teams.
2: Yeah, I, I think that this game, I don't think it matters more For either one of them, I think I I would have a hard time kind of saying that what it matters more for one team to win or it would mean more for one team to lose because, you know, yeah, you you know, Nathan mentioned the Ohio State side of things. But I mean, just to frankly bring up the Penn State side of things, like Penn State's had some really good players, too, and they've played in one Big Ten championship game under. James Franklin and the Big Ten's about to get a whole heck of a lot harder when you add in some competition here. Like, you know, you think about some of the great players that you've Saquon Barkley's played there. Uh Trace McSorley's played there. Micah Parsons has played there. Think about all the, like this just the receivers that they have that are always like six feet tall, that are really, really fast, that they can play at Penn State. Now I know like Barkley and McSorley and those guys have played in Big Ten championship games before, but they've played in one in James Franklin's time and James Franklin is 1 and 8 against Ohio State. So, at some point you've got to prove that you can get to this level, right? And if I think I to to bring it back a little bit to earlier in the year, like I think this is kind of just reframing a little bit of the Notre Dame argument with Marcus Freeman where it was like if Notre Dame can't do this now, like when can they do this? And I think it's kind of the same thing with Penn State where it's like if Penn State can't beat I know it's on the road, but if you can't beat Ohio state with maybe the best defense in the country, a really good running game, a solid offensive line, like there, there are some questions that I think you can, you can reasonably have that are still there that are currently there about James Franklin. So I, you know, I I think that you could make a case for both teams because it pens for Penn state, it's very much like, if not now, when, and for Ohio state it's okay, what happened in these last couple of years because you could very reasonably point to like there's a there's a scenario where Ohio State loses tomorrow and I know you won't know this uh, I know you won't know this a little later, but Ohio State loses on Saturday and that could be the end of their Big Ten championship hopes right there. Because Penn State could run the table the rest of the way and that's it. Ohio State's not going to Indy. And you could be very much you could be without going to a Big Ten championship game Against Penn State. So there's a lot of things at play here. I'm not willing to say that it's either, you know, it's more important for either side just because if either team loses, that could be it for the Big Ten championship game, for the college football playoff, for a lot of different things. So I think it means a lot in a lot of different ways for both programs. Steven looks like he's either thinking or about to tell me why he thinks I'm wrong. I think Nathan is just right. I didn't even think, but those are a lot of different variables. Ohio State for
0: most of my life and most of Andrew's life, and really, let's just be real, most of Nathan's life, even though he's significantly older than us, has been the standard in the Big Ten. We did a whole series called King of the North, and then six months later, they were no longer King of the North. Michigan has already taken your spot as the pride of the Big Ten. You can't open the door for Penn State to even think about now coming for spot number two, especially when USC... Oregon and Washington and UCLA are on their way in less than 12 months now I think Nathan you're right I think this is more important for Ohio State in terms of one at least making sure that nobody else is coming behind them to take their spot but more importantly getting back on that stage that they haven't been on since 2020 you're that's a lot of that's John Cooperish level list right there of guys who have never competed for a Big Ten championship never won a Big Ten championship when you're talking never about all that talent, never, never even, even played the in the game. So I, I think I, I don't disagree with the, this is maybe James Franklin's best chance at it. They, you know, Johnny McDonnell, he said that this is probably the most, even from a talent standpoint, these rosters have been maybe since the 2017 team. And that's a, and, and you know, I think there's an argument either way in that conversation. So I get that you're one in eight. This you're, you maybe you see a weakness. This is an opportunity for you to take a step up, but Penn state under James Franklin is trying to get somewhere where Penn State has never really been. Ryan Day is trying to get back to with Ohio State, the place where they have always been. So I I think you're right, Nathan. This might be you know, it might be 51% more important to Ohio State than 49% for Penn State, but I do think this is a much more important game for Ohio State on that journey of getting back to from the big picture standpoint, back to being the pride of the Big Ten, which it starts here, it started, it starts here against Penn State, and then you got to continue it against Michigan, and then just kind of, you know, kill whoever comes out of the Big Ten West, which is probably going to be Iowa, unfortunately. But th- this is it's a three-step system here of getting back to the top of the Big Ten, and it starts on Saturday inside Ohio Stadium at noon against Penn State.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just, this is a program that's defined by pursuing national championships, and in mm-hmm. those last two years, they, they, you know, obviously last year getting into the playoff helped, but you didn't even win Big Ten championships. Didn't even play for Big Ten championships last year. You've got to take that step, and I don't, you know, a three-year drought in that category is not going to sit well for this program. And yes, next year everything changes, but I have said from the beginning I thought that that added to the um, intensity of this year. That it 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 puts more of an onus on Ohio State to kind of rise to the occasion this year. And have to do it this year. It's, it's, un- again, unfortunate that this is the structure of the sport, but it is what it is. And uh, you have to go achieve regardless of that. So, um, I, I, it's, it's just a massive game. It's just a
0: massive game. It- and it's going to be fun.
2: Is there a team in college football? That is going to be more benefited by the 12-team playoff than Penn State? Ohio
0: like, State has literally – would have been in the playoff every single year if the 12-team right. playoff had existed since 2014, so no. I,
2: I, yeah, the I'm, answer well, is I'm not. I, yeah. Okay, well, the, the reason that I say that and the reason that I asked that was, yes, Ohio State – I'm not saying it wouldn't have been beneficial for Ohio State. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying that, like, Penn State has not made the college football playoff and Penn State would have made the college football playoff a handful of times. And I think with their schedule – I think you could make a case for it. I don't know. I think that no, when you talk it's about.
0: State. It's, it's I, Ohio State.
2: Like, I understand I, they would right. Penn State well, that, would have made fine. it. In,
0: Penn State would have made it in some years. Ohio State legitimately would have been the only team in the country who would have made the playoff every single year if this was a 12-team playoff. The only team. Not even yeah, Bama. Based yeah. on the rankings so
1: Based on the rankings. Yeah, based on those. Make,
0: yes. Again, would Alabama have said, been left out yeah. <laughs> in 2019? Probably, yeah, know, probably but, not. But just but yeah, but based off, if you backtrack what actually did happen in the rankings, then they're the only team that gets in the chest. Some things probably get switched around if, if it was a 12-team playoff. I, do I understand yeah. what you're getting yeah. at,
1: Andrew, because in so many of these years, Penn State was either like the distant second to Ohio State or the third behind Ohio State in Michigan. And it's a rough place to be in. Um, when there's only one spot up for grabs in most years and, and it's, it's, it's a tough climb. You're in one of the, uh, you know, one of the two toughest divisions in the sport, right? So to be third in that conference in that row is tough. Um, it's why, frankly, I I wasn't actually, you know, people trying to bring up that Maryland, Oh, Maryland might be the fourth best team in the big 10, but there's a gulf between what third and fourth Mm -hmm. is right now. And we saw that when Maryland then had to go play Illinois, right? So uh it, it means something to finish. I'm not saying there's necessarily shame in losing to either Penn State or Michigan. I think they're both great teams this year, and there shouldn't it shouldn't be a shameful thing to lose a game to other great teams. But the the fact of the matter is this program has a standard that it's it's, it's the reason that they pay people what they do, it's a reason why they uh, charge their fans what they do and 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 raise money the way that they do and it's a reason why they get the eyeballs that they have and um they they have not had the achievement the crowning achievement to go along with that i think that if you were to fall to third in the list while there's no shame in losing the individual games it it is a reflection on where the program is right now
0: So the first stop in which of these three teams is going to fall third on the list in the 2023 season? Somebody, starts one on, of these really good teams has to be, it's be technically third. third. Yeah. Some, <laughs> however you want to break that tie. And whoever loses on Saturday is on a good path to, to actually be the team who actually does that because they're a loss away from making that happen. We'll be in Ohio Stadium in Columbus At noon, well, we'll be there like 9.30. Well, even earlier than that. We've been told to get there early. If you're heading to the game, Jerry Emick has told us to tell people, get there early because it's going to be packed. Ohio State, at noon, on Fox.
1: That's also the reason they want people there early. They don't want people still filing in when that game starts. They want it to be intense. They want it to be a big-time atmosphere when the game starts. That's true. They don't have to ask people to do that at Beaver Stadium. At Beaver Stadium, 110,000 people show up and and become – a part of the game they have to ask people to do that here i'm sorry that's just what's happening this week so that's true. Ohio state faithful uh it's your opportunity to kind of rise to the occasion and show up and be the home field advantage that ohio state thinks it needs it thinks it might need a home field advantage to win this game because it has to go play in a obvious road field disadvantage whenever it goes to beaver stadium because that's what that crowd does so uh, I'm not trying to lecture people. I'm just telling you this is what Ohio State people are telling us. You can read between the lines. They put out a thing on social media today, a video, with a bunch of players saying, you know, wear red, because they're doing the scarlet to shoe. So wear red, yeah. be loud, and uh, make sure you have your, your ticket in your Apple wallet. That was the three things that Julian Fleming and, and these <laughs> other guys were making sure that people knew. Because they, want, they don't want a crowd at kickoff still filing in. They want people... They want that stadium full at kickoff because the earlier they can affect Penn state's offense, the better chance they have to win this game. That's right out of Ryan and, day's mouth early this week.
0: And there's also going to be a lot of very, very important recruits. And the last thing that you want five star and top 100 players to see is a, a stadium that is still filing in while Ohio state's yeah, taking the fields. it's the, field. it's, like, it's, it's, it's the it's, game. He
1: said it. It's about the game. It's about affecting Penn state's offense. They want people in there to make it hard for Penn state to run its offense. So you get to be, this is it. This is 12th man stuff. Like you get to be a a visceral part of why Ohio state wins this game. I'm probably really not talking to the people who are on this pod. If you're listening to this podcast, I think you're there early. If you have game tickets to this game, I think you're that kind of fan. So find You know, which fans this, that message is supposed to get to, right? All of you who are listening. So if you care, if you want Ohio state to have that advantage, get those people on the phone, text them, Snapchat, Friendster, whatever you guys are using these days, and encourage them to, to get there early.
0: Fenster? It's been a while since people have used Fenster, I think. Fenster, I said Friendster. Oh,
1: yeah, that's even Ben's more story. of a,
0: what is Friends? Uh, we can get into that another podcast. And uh, we can wrap this one up. We'll be at uh, Ohio Stadium on Saturday at noon for Ohio State's kickoff. College game day will be there. Big noon kickoff will be there. Gus Johnson and Joel Clout on the call. Ohio State, the number three team in the country. Penn State, the number seven team in the country. And probably the biggest game of this weekend. So for Nathan Baird, for Andrew Gillis, for T. Shu, for Johnny McGill, McGonagall, I'm Stephen Means. And that was Buckeye Talk.